Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast. I'm Dave Sharp, Marketing Consultant for Architects at VanityProjects.com. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Cassie Hansen, the editor of Artichoke Magazine, Australia's most respected interior architecture and design magazine. Artichoke covers hospitality, retail, exhibition, and workplace interior design projects, as well as the architects and designers behind them. And I've been very excited for this episode because Cassie is the best person to speak to when it comes to understanding how print journalism works and what you can do to improve your chances of seeing your work in a print magazine. So in this episode, we discussed how an editor plans out magazines throughout the year, how lead times work, and when to approach an editor about your projects. Cassie explained what exclusivity means for architecture publications, the rules you need to follow, and why you should be careful when selecting publications to reach out to. And we discussed how editors like Cassie find new projects, as well as why it's important to reach out to editors and take a proactive approach to getting published and not just wait for them to come to you. Cassie broke down what you should and shouldn't send an editor to submit your new project and shared her tips for creating media kits and press releases that are going to be successful. Finally, we looked at the common mistakes architects make that hurt their chances of getting published, how to find photographers and writers that'll help you to get more media attention, and why awards programs should also be an important consideration in your marketing as well. So I really hope you enjoy my conversation with Cassie Hansen from Artichoke Magazine. Cassie Hansen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dave. I'm looking forward to this. No worries. I've been looking forward to it too because uh, I'm just so interested to learn more about Artichoke and the process and finally answer some questions about how to get published and how magazines work and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very curious about the topic. Um, maybe do you want to start off with just, I guess, a little bit of an overview of Artichoke because we do have a lot of Australian people listening to the podcast, but we we have an international audience as well, so it might mm-hmm. be good to just briefly you know, yeah, talk about sure. what you do. Yep, okay. So Artichoke is a quarterly uh, magazine print publication. We're published by Architecture Media and I guess a lot of the Australian architects out there might know our publishing house because we're also the publishers of Architecture Australia and Houses Magazine and Landscape Architecture Australia. And then we do a whole bunch of um, digital um, sites and also events and awards programs. So there's a whole suite of things we do at Architecture Media. And Artichoke is kind of the interiors title of all those um, titles. And as I said, we're quarterly. We go out um, to predominantly an interiors audience and um uh, and a bit of the public as well. We, we are stocked in news agents all over the country, so we find a lot of um, people that just have a bit of an interest in, in design and what's happening um, pick up the magazine as well. And I guess in terms of, you know, being an interiors magazine, we're, we're, we are focusing in on commercial interiors, so um, not so much residential. We, we look at a lot of hospitality work. We love um, publishing restaurants and bars and that sort of thing, uh, but also retail work, um, education spaces, workplaces, um, installations, that sort of uh, is the work we're focusing on. You know, we have that other we have that other title, which is Houses, which is, does predominantly the residential work. Um, and it's been around since 1998, um, and I've been the editor for the last eight years and been working at Architecture Media for 11 years. So it's been a, yeah. a, a lovely long time there. 
<laughs> That's awesome. And so with a quarterly magazine, um, so when's, when's your next issue coming out? Is it, is it in the next few weeks or, or, or in a couple of months' time? Yes. Um, yeah, <laughs> so the, what is it? It's, uh, it goes March, June, September, December. Yeah, okay. And so say you're putting out the um, December issue, do you mm. start working on that around, you know, mid-November, last couple of weeks? Or Definitely <laughs> how, not. How, <laughs> I wish we so, did. So like, you know, the week before you have to go to the printers, we're like scrambling and stuff? Or, um, yeah. So I'd love to get, a, I guess, a sense of kind of the duration and the timeline that goes into putting together a print yep. magazine. So I think a lot of people are quite surprised by how long it takes to make Artichoke and, and other magazines and magazines in general. Um, so basically we have five-month lead times. So basically for um, I'm starting to look at projects for my March 2022 issue and we're in late, we're mid-September at the moment. So it's about uh, five months out I'm starting to um, – commission writers to um, go visit the projects that we're going to have in that issue um, and then get all the material that we need from the architect. Um, and then we start making the magazine. You know, we give the writers about four to five weeks to write those stories so that they're really thorough stories and really in-depth stories um, because they're not short stories. They're quite, you know, they can be 800 mm. to 1,000 words. So we give them enough time to do a good job of it. And then we've got a four-week um, design, uh, graphic design period. Then we go into about oh, two weeks of proofreading and um, final reads is what we call that um, sort of uh, time period. Then there's all the production where the production manager sort of gets all those files ready. And then there's almost we send it off and we don't see the magazine come back for about six to eight weeks. So we Artichoke is printed overseas in Singapore and it's yeah. literally waiting for a ship to leave Singapore with our magazines and hit Australia and they get lost at sea and all these things happen and it's crazy. And But there is such a long, print for us is a really long, um, a long process that people don't understand so they don't really understand that they might have to wait a while to see the results, I guess. <laughs> yes. So do you find that, that sometimes comes as a little bit of a surprise when, when uh, I guess if you've been published in print before, you kind of know what to expect, but for first time practices that are getting their work in there for the very first time, um, does yeah. like this idea of, you know, you might be waiting sort of five months, does that come as a bit of a surprise sometimes? Sometimes, especially to the emerging designers who have, aren't really um, accustomed to how all the publishing deadlines work. Um, but, you know, it's an education process and, and it's pretty much the same for all the others in the, in all the other print titles in the, in the, um, space as well. So they, they're working with similar lead times. Um, but yeah, it's just about teaching them, teaching architects what, how, how long it takes for their article to, um, be, you know, they're holding it in their hands. But the nice thing about that is I think that, you know, the upside is that the writer gets to have a really nice long time to, sit with the project, with to go and visit it, to have those nice lengthy conversations with the architect and really tease out a really nice solid story. And I think that's kind of the nice thing about print and what I've always been attracted to about it is that ability to tell the whole story um, and really, you know, share that, I guess. Yeah. And not every architect architecture publication or design publication is commissioning writers and journalists anymore, right? Yeah. Like, that's kind of becoming uh, a, a rarer thing yeah. to see that yeah, there'll is. be an original piece of writing. Um, mm. But that's something that's always going to be part of the magazine business, right? 
Yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, yeah. um, my background is journalism. It's not architecture. And, and that's um, in our editorial team, it's a bit of a mix. There's about nine of us. And I think it's about half, half, half come from that architecture background, half come from that publishing and journalism background. And for me, I'm always going to be um, really going after those really great stories. I feel like, you know, you've got print to play with. You've got the text. You can really tease out those stories and, and um, tell them in a really great way. Um, so, you know, I think we pay our writers quite well compared to other um, media companies out there. Um, and that's all really that's because we place such an importance on the text as well. Um, and also a lot of our writers are practising architects as well. So mm. they understand um, a building, they understand how architects work and they can have that conversation. But um, when they tell the story, they, they are telling it to uh, they're not just talking in architecture speak. They're, we're asking them to tell the story so that, um, you know, the public can understand the journey of that project or uh, the journey of the architect working on that project. So, yeah, text and, and writers and um, is a, such a massive uh, part of the puzzle for me and, and what makes our magazines, I think, really great is the emphasis we've always placed on um, those writers in, and getting the right, also the right writer for the right project. We, mm. I like, that's like a real matchmaking process for me. <laughs> and I love picking out the writer that will um, work on that particular project because, you know, I just, I think about it like, oh, they, I think they've written about that architecture for about three or four years ago. I'm sure they'll be interested in how they've, you know, how the, their careers, um, they have the trajectory of their careers happened over the last four years. I, I reckon that'll be a bit of a catch up. That'll be a nice story. They're nearby. Mm. You know, it's a real matchmaking process, which I really like. Stepping out of the publication process for a second um, and talking on that idea of picking writers or, or finding the right writer for the right project, uh, every now and then an architect will actually hire their own writer to write maybe like their project descriptions that go on their website or put together the information that's going to go in a package to go into an awards program or even to go into a media kit to go to publication. So, that's, mm -hmm. that happens from time to time. Um, are there any good tips or rules of thumb for picking the right picking the right writer to go with a project or do you just have to, you just have to know lots of writers and kind of know what they're good at? Like what, but is there anything that is kind of like, if you're a beginner at trying to find who's the right writer for this project, I mean, what, what can they do that will make it a little bit easier for them? I reckon, I mean, a lot of our, the writers that we work with at Architecture Media are often freelance writers as well. Mm. Um, some of them are working architects and they won't have the ability to help you, but it's a great idea to just yeah. flick through any magazine or any blog and see the bylines of what those the writers that you like, the ones that you're drawn to or are writing similar stories to the story you want to tell um, and getting those names. And um, it's kind of like, I guess, like photography. You just get drawn to this sort of the photographers that um, are taking the sort of photos that you want to, you, how yeah. you want to express your projects. It's kind of like the writers. So if you're, um, it's, I would just suggest opening up the magazines that you're drawn to reading a few stories, which writers do you like and getting in touch with them that way and seeing if they're available for copywriting services, which often they are because they've got their freelancers as well. Yeah. Um, even getting in touch with 
um, someone like myself and just asking me the question. I'm happy to help with that sort of thing and, and give you a few names to follow up you with. You might regret offering that. <laughs> but, well, it's not going to be much matter, much difference to me because I get those emails weekly anyway. You get them anyway. Okay, fine. You've got a filter set up. All, yeah. all go to spam straight away. <laughs> so Brilliant. I think it's just a matter of just, um, yeah, doing a lot of reading and seeing what you like and whose tone you like and who you think yeah. will capture your story best and, and getting in touch with them. That's that's actually really great that you point that out because I, I sometimes I get the question, some very specific question like, how can I get into Artichoke magazine? <laughs> what can I do to get into Artichoke magazine? <laughs> and, and in terms of photography or writing, um, and I, I, I sort of sometimes think about a good place to start would be to open up their most recent issues and look at who those writers are Absolutely. and look at who those photographers are. Yep. And it and and but it's almost like uh, getting to see real examples of their portfolio by actually seeing people that have successfully been published exactly. in, in the magazine that you're interested in. Yes. Yep. Um, so we, that would be a good start. Exactly. Like we, I often also get asked for um, photography um, suggestions. Yes. And um, I do say, yeah, uh, open up the magazine if you've got a hospitality project. You might want to just look at the hospitality projects and see who shot those because there are architect. Uh, sorry, there are photographers that. Um, like to only like are just stronger at shooting hospitality spaces or workplace spaces because they're quite different spaces yep. to um, capture. Um, but also, you know, give me an email and I'll, I'll, set, I'll <laughs> put, point you in the right direction. Um, but it is about like if that is what if I, you're after getting into Artichoke or one of our other titles, I would definitely suggest just flicking through and seeing who we're publishing and that's a good benchmark of what we're doing. But yep. we love to have a chat about, you know, your project and if it's just completed and you haven't gone out and done the photography yet, we can suggest those things and um, and make sure that it's, you know, it's going to work for both of us. That's interesting. I mean, so do you often take a role in the process of actually sort of advising a practice on how they can better prepare? Is that, is that something that you do from time to time in terms of giving them advice on? the photographers and the writers, but specific to their project? Uh, not uh, from time to time, yes. From so time to time. A yeah. lot of the emerging um, studios that are coming up and are a bit green at this sort of thing um, are doing the right things and asking me for advice about yeah. what, what, who, which photographer would you suggest for this particular type of project? And I think that's um, a great thing to do and I'm happy to help. Um, but the established Studios know what they're doing. They often work with yep. the same photographer and we, yep. we know that and they're the photographers that know what well, works for print as well. So we'll have no issues with their photography. Interesting. What are, you, what are your thoughts on sticking to the same photographer forever versus sort of dabbling and experimenting and going from project to project and kind of seeing what works best for different projects? I mean, have you, from your perspective and working with so many different practices through through artichoke have you have you found that one tends to lead to better results over the long term than the other or is it is it kind of either or in terms of is it better to find a photographer that you build a relationship with and work with them for the rest of the history of your practice or <laughs> or is it good to kind of keep it sort of open and and non-exclusive um, when it comes to photography good question i think um Look, I think personally I like to see, I like the studios to surprise me with who mm. they've got to shoot it and they've thought about it. It's sometimes, for me, I think it's it can be important because if you're a workplace uh, project, 
should be there. It's, it's, it's got a different feel and a different, um, the photography would feel very different to a hospital, in, intimate bar oh, space. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, and I think you might need to choose a photographer that works both for those those different situations. Residential, it might be different if you've got an, if you're an architecture firm that is just does residential. It it may suit your needs to just stick with the one um, photographer because they know exactly what, how you like to get shot. You don't have to keep rebriefing them every single time. Um, mm. There's going to be no surprises in the end. There's going to be no awkward conversations at the end when you get the contact sheet and you don't like what you see. I understand both ways, <laughs> um, but I, I think if you're like. A commercial, um, if you're working in the commercial space and you've got all these vast range of um, projects, it could be a good idea to experiment with who you're using uh, mm-hmm. depending on what sector that project's in and yeah. uh, and the scale as well. And also, you know, sometimes you have to um, choose a different photographer because it's in a you've done work in a different state and your photographer can't get there or That's whatever. Right. Yeah. So I think I think it's a good thing to just um, broaden your broaden your little contact list and try new things. Yep. And everyone, Cassie likes to be surprised. So yeah. that's the mate, that's the most important thing. Don't don't be boring. Don't have the same person every time. The She'll emphasis is a good you. the emphasis is on a good surprise, <laughs> not a bad surprise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> going, going back to the process of that five month kind of period, um, uh, the sort of lead time leading up to a, a, a particular issue of the magazine. Do you have mm. an idea in mind of uh, do you plan out sort of these are kind of themes for those issues? So, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, we do. We have um, rough themes. They're, they are rough um, for the year ahead. So I'll have the themes for 2022 already set out at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and But things can change. So, for example, if I've got a March issue and I would I haven't done education spaces for a while and I would like to do some education spaces in that issue, but just nothing comes across my desk in the commission period where I'm looking for education projects that are really exciting and um, and recent and they just don't tick all the boxes that I need, I'm not gonna go with just I'm not gonna go with education theme in that issue just for the sake yep. of it. I need yep. to be able to know that I've got some really sexy projects in there that are going to yeah. fill that. So they do, they're, they're the great thing is they can be flexible, but um, roughly, yes, I do know the themes of each issue a year out. Mm. Yes. Mm. 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 And that's, I mean, that's public information. Like we, I think we list that on our um, architecture media website. So if you're wondering when the next time I'm going to be publishing restaurants is and you want to get in that issue and you want to, mm. you want to pitch something to me, then that's, yeah, that's something you should be looking into. <laughs> I think I think to get that information, I'm you might potentially need to pretend to be a potential advertiser oh, okay. and get I the right card. <laughs> <laughs> or just again, little, people just can try me. and unpack what that might involve um, if they want yeah. to. Um, <laughs> I probably sent people down a rabbit hole on that one. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. So you know, if you want to go get a sense of what the advertising rates look like for the next year, I think they've got that information. So, um, so that gives you a little bit of idea. So then maybe you would actually try to if you are making decisions about when am I going to get my photography done or mm. should we wait till next year because the because this reason or that reason, you know, maybe maybe factoring in those themes could be could be yes. a, a good yeah. strategy. And also the thing is though, you know, they they are themes that, as I said, they're quite loose because if I get something that's and it's, if I get a, an amazing project um, and I really want it um, <laughs> and often we, we, we publish things as sets, so we'll have a set of hospitality projects or a set of workplace projects and that sort of thing. Not, of, uh, not always, but most often we do. Um, I might change the whole 
theme of that issue to work with that project that I really want to publish in that particular mm-hmm. um, that particular edition. So um, it is really flexible, which I love. I don't. I love. I they used to be a lot more. Um, I used to really be strict with my themes and I found that it was working against me because I would just be filling in holes because I needed three workplace projects and one would be really amazing and two wouldn't be quite up to scratch and I would Mm. look back at those issues and go, oh, I wish I hadn't set that theme so strictly. I could have, you know, done a bit more, you know, could have published other things, I guess. Um, So that's why I've gotten really loose on those in the last few years just because it, it serves the magazine better. Makes your life a lot easier, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> when when your founding project, so so at what point are you in that in that five month process? So basically, is it the five months where you're kind of making that kind of cut off in decision making about what's in and what's out? That's at the very outset, right? Yes, it okay, is. Yep. Interesting. And in yep. finding those projects, at the moment, what would the balance be between the project coming to you versus mm. you kind of going to the project? Mm, how, how's that? How does that sort of split? I reckon that's about 80% pitched to me, 20% I've seen it and I want it and I've gotten in touch with them. Um, And that's um, when I'm seeing things, it's usually probably Instagram. I've seen something. Um, Or uh, I've just heard about something on the grapevine and I'm doing a bit of exploring. But most often than not, it's someone's pitched something to me and um, I've taken a look and I love it and I want to publish it. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So maybe starting on that 20%, I think Mm. that's a little bit of an interesting subject because you did bring up Instagram. Um, I was going to, I was making sure I wanted to ask you what, what are, where do you discover work? And I think you answered the question already. Instagram, right? Mostly Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love Instagram, but also the other avenue is probably awards programs. So if, um, yeah. our own awards, like uh, I'll go through the short list or I'll go through the entries before even judging and have a little look and see if there's something I haven't seen before um, or other people, other award short lists, I'll go through and see if there's anything I haven't, I think hasn't been published before and get in touch. Um, so awards and Instagram mostly and just, yeah, heard it on the grapevine and want to hear more. And sometimes um, I might be following the clients or, you know, I follow a lot of hospitality operators on Instagram and seeing what mm. they get up to and they might be like, oh, we're starting a new restaurant branch yeah. in such and such and I'm like, oh, this is going to be good because they've got a good track record of working with good architects. So that's yeah. just kind of having my feelers everywhere and, and making sure I feel like I'm across it and, yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. Looking at the 80% then um, in terms of how the work kind of comes to you, um, something you kind of brought up earlier was that maybe there are varying stages of completeness where somebody might make that point of contact. Mm -hmm. They might read, I I suppose you get the full spectrum from we've just sort of done a concept design. It's going to be brilliant. (laughs) We wanted to give you a heads up all the way through to we have like we've put together a full package of text and here's the media kit and here's the images and here's this and this and this and this. We've done everything. Like there's probably that complete spectrum. Um, I suppose there isn't really a right time for people to contact you in the the process Um, and obviously we don't want your inbox to become too overwhelmed with stuff that's too soon to tell. But is there like a critical period where you think that, it starts to be, become possible for you as an editor to judge a project and decide, okay, I think there's something here. Yes, okay. So, yes, you're right. I do get um, 
told up the heads up at every single stage of the um, we, project. We just got a, a great inquiry through our Squarespace website. This is going to be a fantastic project. <laughs> <laughs> we want you to know about it. It's coming and, and in two I, years. And I love that they want to share that with me. That's so nice. Um, <laughs> but the, I guess in terms of it being useful information, I like to know about it just as it's coming up to completion and what their publishing plans are. Um and who they're going to get to shoot it and that sort of thing. Um, just so it heads up so I can sort of earmark it and going, oh, maybe that would fit into this issue coming up because because of those long lead times, it's great to know where I can place things. Um, but more, most 99% of the time when people are pitching to me, it's um, they've got the photography, they've got yep. a little, um, they've either got a, a media release or a little short design statement. I actually prefer a short design statement. I, I always say I only need about 100, 150 words, some floor mm. plans and some low-res images and I can sort of get a real sense of it from that and decide which way I'll go. Um, and that's, I guess, uh, how I decide if it gets published or not from just getting those, those contact sheets and then having a bit yep. of a chat about um, what they what they want, uh, where they want to see it published. Um, if they're coming to me, I hope it's with me. But, you know, yeah. I also, uh, and also I guess explaining our exclusivity arrangements and all that sort of thing um, because a lot of people, a lot of studios might not really know about if it's their first time getting published or they're um, quite new to that whole world, they don't, they may not know about exclusivity arrangements and that might come let's as a do it shock. let's yeah. let's spend five let's do a five minute intensive um yes. crash course on exclusivity yes. give me the give me the spill you have to give to the rookie yes. <laughs> the rookie architects so we um we ask for in terms of artichoke and it's different for each of the titles in at architecture media yeah. um we ask that it's not offered to um other design media um, and there's a list of no, the list of the, who they are, and mm -hmm. two of the big design blogs, and those are the um, those are the titles we single out just because they have such a similar readership to us, and mm -hmm. it serves both ways. So I feel like if we have the exclusivity, it's not going to pop up on that and pop up on those other titles, and the reader's going to get sick of seeing it on both, and it's just a bit of an oversaturation. I feel. Yeah, and um, we ask that that exclusivity. Uh, uh, sorry, that exclusivity runs to until our issue is off newsstands. So once the issue that they're in comes off the newsstands, so probably about three months after it's um, been published, they can go for gold and um, hit up those other ones that we sort of said no to. Now yeah. that doesn't exclude consumers, so we don't have any problems with you know, um, going out to Bell magazines and Vogue Living magazines and that sort of thing or newspapers or anything like that. Um, and we also don't obviously would never ask them to not share on their own Instagram or website. Um, I think there should be a strategy on um, how many images they put up on their Instagram and their website just so that by the time it features in the publication that they've chosen it to feature in, it still feels fresh and there's still a few images there that the, the audience hasn't seen. Yeah. Um, and then also the other thing is with Artichoke, you know, you're not just getting an Artichoke magazine, you're also getting, you'll also get a run on our Artichoke uh, newsletter, our email mm -hmm. newsletter, which goes out to 80,000 people. And mm -hmm. it also gets a second life on Architecture AU. So 
which is like half a million visitors a month or something. It's like it's <laughs> about whatever. six billion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that's like a whole other life. And it and it um, and so you're hit, hitting all these different touch touch points during during the life of the story of that of that project story. So you yeah. know, you think of it. Some people get a bit. Um, a little bit concerned about hearing about those exclusivity because they just want to get out there and get the mm. project everywhere. Um, but there is a right, there's a reason for why we ask that, and we and it's to do with so that readers aren't seeing the same thing across all the magazines. Um, we're giving yep. them we're all we're all benefiting. I don't think people want to open up three magazines of the same issue and see the same project in each one. Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah, and and you don't want to get you know it takes time to put together a magazine, put the writing out there, get get everything like the level of work that goes into it and the time that's involved, um, you don't want it to be, you know, scooped. <laughs> Absolutely, um, yes. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's something that protects you as a publication as well and people can respect that because you're investing a lot in that, in creating that story and putting that project together. So, yeah, yeah and I we also do, a, I think we do a good job of it. Like we really invest yeah, exactly. um, in telling that story correctly and and, and it's, it's not just a little one page thing it's usually in artichoke it's you know between six to ten pages so it's yep. really thorough and in-depth and and um we hope that it's worth the wait there was a couple of things that surprised me about the exclusivity list that you mentioned hmm. um that i i i had the mis- this misconception that it was kind of all print was out but you mentioned that non-competing print could still be in depending yes. on what it is if it's yep. from a different thing. Okay, yep. cool. That's really interesting. And yep. also that you are mostly fine with online like slash blogs but except with a couple of exceptions where they yep. maybe are a more direct kind of overlap. But yeah. I'm guessing that, you know, one of those two wouldn't necessarily be like let's say Dezine, for example, or maybe it is. Maybe that's on the list of ones we can't do. But uh, maybe not directly competing with Artichoke. It's international, perhaps. It's in, exactly, you know, yeah. it's elsewhere. Okay. So the two um, blogs that we sort of ask for exclusivity is. We can bleep them out. Uh, no, 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 it's okay. It's um, Yellow Trace and the local project. And that's just because yep. we have very similar readerships. And I'm very sure. Similar, yep. mm-hmm. I'm sure that if you ask them, they would probably have exclusivity against maybe some of our titles. And that's completely um, understandable. Yep. Um, and often, you know what? Like, uh, especially emerging studios, I have a bit of leeway. Like it might be, um, there might be a new studio. They have this is their first project. It's excellent. They um, want to go on Artichoke. I tell them the exclusivity arrangements, and they're like, "Oh, okay. We just really wanted it in such and such blog, and this might be on my no go list." And I'm like, "You know what? Let's have a chat about it, and let's talk about how many photos you send them because I don't want you to miss out on that opportunity if that's really yeah. important to you. And we'll have a ch- let's just have a chat about it. Like let's." figure it out um and i don't want to you know i think any publicity for the design community is great and i'll, I'll try and work with you as much as i can um uh, as long as it's not to the detriment of that story in artichoke so that it still feels fresh because i am coming out so far down the track that i just want it still to feel really fresh um yeah. so yes i think um I can't remember what the original question was, David. No, that's fine. So you mentioned you mentioned also that in general you're okay with um, people putting it on their website and their blog. And I think there's a bit of urban legend about this idea that, you know, if you're exclusive for a publication, you absolutely cannot share the project whatsoever. Um, th- mm. uh, to your knowledge, are there any publications that do put that level of strictness around people? I guess there might be, but. 
Uh, they're quite, Have you come across anything like I, that? I, I don't know. No, I haven't personally heard that. Um, yeah. like, but it could exist. I mean, um, and I, I might, I suspect it might actually exist with a couple of things I have, a couple of titles I have in mind, just because I have never, sometimes I have often not seen anything on that particular project and then I see it on yep. that title and I'm like, wow, I've never seen Complete that before. Complete surprise. Yep. Yeah. And yep. then you go onto the the architect's Instagram, it's not even really on there. So, so I, and I think that would probably have to do with the publication paying for the photograph. Photography. photography. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. So, so there are um, we there are publications that will actually they will choose a photographer and pay for that photography, right? But yeah. then, which you know, then there is probably much stricter expectations about who and how exactly. you of can course. use those images. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. But in general, people shouldn't look at print as a trade off in terms of oh, well, if I go with print, then I can't share it on Instagram for nine months. Oh, uh, no, no, you know, no, no. But, but you did mention that sometimes there might be a little bit of a conversation around, well, we might use these images or you might just release this shot or that shot, that sort of thing. Um, mm. So that makes sense. But I guess like what what is like the best sort of starting point or, or what is a few sort of steps that maybe a practice should take that goes through print then through that embargo kind of exclusivity period then out the end, off the shelves, onto the onto the online, it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, like maybe I'd love to get your thoughts on how a practice can kind of na- maybe Navi- what the yeah. ideal way to navigate those phases yeah. could be. Yeah. Well, I think it starts, the first thing you need to do is ask yourself what you want out of this getting your project published. If you want, um, if you've got a very clear idea of what you want, I want it to be in Artichoke magazine or I want it to be in Houses magazine, then you've, you're already already setting up the hierarchy for yourself because you're going, I want that one and then I can't do any of those because that's their exclusivity arrangements. And then afterwards, this is my second spot I want it to go and I'll, I'm happy to wait that five months before going there. And you're sort of, uh, you're creating that hierarchy of or that ladder of where you're going to go because you've set set up you've you've said I want that that's my number one yeah now but you might want to you might be an emerging firm and you just want to be everywhere and that's okay I mean you know you might want to just see what it's like to uh, really build your profile and do a bit of a scattergun approach and send your little press kit and your images everywhere and see what happens and um, there are uh, um, sites that help you do that, and that's and they'll do a terrific job. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like if that's what you want to do, and you just want to try that and see what happens, that's fine. Um, you might want to um, hit. You might want to get more clients, and so you would be very particular in which magazine you get, go out with, or which maybe your local newspaper or something, because that's where you're going to get your clients. Um, or you do specific type of work, and you want to get more of that work. You might be very tailored in that approach of where you want to, where you want to hit, which titles you want to hit because of, of that. Um, that's your aim. It's figuring out what you want out of um, getting published, and there is no right wrong answer. And then listing your uh, listing your your go zone of which publications you want to go for. So, firstly, I would figure out what what you want to get out of um, getting your project out there or your your um, work out there. Then, um, depending on what your answer is to that, you might start set up a list of your top three favourite publications of where you want this project to go and you would target the first one and ask them, is this up your alley, this is what I've got, this is my new project, 
here's some images, here's a little brief um, snapshot of it, statement about it, and just get in touch with the editor and start a conversation and see if it's up their alley, if it's something that they can do anything with, um, depending on that answer. If it's a can't do anything with it right now, you might go to your second one on your list and go with that. Yeah. I think it's um, it's just identifying what you want to get out of it and then tailoring the publications to that and which one. Because we all do different kind of things. We all do the consumer mags get you out to potential clients and and um, the, those when I say consumer, I say I mean the publications that go out to that consumer market. Some some yeah. publications do both. Um, there's blogs that, you know, as you say, have daily content or hourly content and you want to be part of that because that's you think that that's the type of um, audience that you want to reach. Um, yeah, it's just about knowing what you want and then creating a little bit of a strategy about how to go about that. Yeah, it's, it sounds like almost picking electives at university or something. Yes. It's like that's my first preference, yes. that's my second preference, and you just, you're trying to work out what that order of preferences is exactly. and then kind of go sort of step-by-step step through that, mm-hmm. reach out to that person, mm-hmm. get a yet, kind of a yes or a no or a feel for whether they're interested before moving on to the next yes. and the next and that sort and, of thing. And I think you can do that. You can. It doesn't have to be like a, um, I guess, you can have a bit of everything. You can go, I, I really want it to be in that print title, but I also want, really want it to be in that online title. And you can just see what each, if it's if they are compatible in terms of exclusivity arrangements, and you can go after yeah. both those things. Um, and timing-wise, and you might have a different set of content for that another, the other second place. Or, um, mm. yeah, you might have video content that you want to send out to those guys instead of the photographic content for the print title. It's about having yeah. um, a few different stories to tell perhaps about the same project and telling them in different ways. Um, but also I think just being a little bit conscious of not I think it's a bit of a learning process, but I, I think it's a good process to not send it everywhere because I think there is such a thing as oversaturation um, mm. and it can damage your chances of getting maybe that second project out there because everyone's seen that last one and it got yeah. printed everywhere and I just and maybe people want to take a break because there's other projects that are coming across the desk from architects I haven't heard of and I just want to give them some... Oh, interesting. So you're saying it's not even just oversaturating the project itself. It's potentially oversaturating the practice. Uh, yeah, it can be. <laughs> Going, seen too much of those guys recently. Yes. Uh, let's uh, let's switch it up. Yes, especially <laughs> if, um, you know, they've been on a couple of covers at the same time or in the same six-month yeah. um, six um, timeline and it's like, oh, I think, oh, there, and, and we have so many architecture firms here to choose from and, and design firms that's like, okay, well, they've had a good year. They've had a good... Seems like they yes. did really well with that one. We'll <laughs> yes. choose these guys that we haven't heard from in years and um, go with them for a little bit. And that's yep. part of our job is to sort of have that whole, it's a mix of everything. Like I want I want each issue of the magazine to be a mix of budgets, scales, notoriety of the firms. I, I want people that you've never heard of in the magazine, but also some of the established ones that you, you're interested to hear what they're up to at the moment or where they've taken their careers. Um, yep. Locations, different um scales everything it's just a, a nice big variety of things that i need to cross off and tick off in my you know mental checklist as i put an issue together that, that makes that makes sense um because i guess if a practice feels like they're completely ubiquitous i mean from the point of view of being an editor and, and wanting to you know 
have people be really interested in picking up a copy of the magazine and, and that sort of thing. It's You wouldn't want to sort of, yeah, go with the practice that everyone's just sort of seeing everywhere and seeing all over the place. Yeah. And you want to try something new and fresh. That's yeah. interesting. And I think that, I mean, um, there's a really good reason why those practices are everywhere is because they're probably doing such good work consistently yeah. and that's amazing. Um, yeah. But uh, part of my job is to also discover some of those emerging studios and giving them some airplay and um, it's sometimes an easier decision to go with that when I've seen yep. just another project that I've seen again and again from those guys and I, those that big firm or something like that. Yeah, and and if there was a specific, um, it's, it's probably worth touching on that if there if we had a project and while maybe those online publications are not directly, you know, in the crossfire in the you know uh, on your list of exclusivity yeah, publications. Sure. Yep. So technically speaking, maybe you could be exclusive with Artichoke at the same time that you're being published here and there and there and there on, online, for example, or on this social media account or, or whatever. That doesn't necessarily mean that you should do them both at the same time if, exactly. because if you do too much of that one thing, it's mm. probably going to influence the decision that you might be making at Artichoke, right? Like, well, well I'm seeing that yes. a little bit too yes. much, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And that is, a, that is a question I ask myself. If I get something pitched and I've seen it already a lot online, I probably may not, um, I may choose not to publish it because I feel like the audience has already seen it. And yep. um, that audience crossover is so deep. Like the people that are mm. following all the Instagram accounts, um, Instagram blogs and all the um, design blogs are following Artichoke. So you want to give them, I'm thinking about my audience as well, and I've got to give them fresh content. And it's really hard to do that with a six-month, five-month lead time. So I've got to be, yep. um, I've got to think about where that project has already been seen. But I think, yeah. you know, it's, again, about having a conversation with the editor and saying, look, I would, I'm thinking about sending it here. Do you have a problem with that or what do you think about that? Um, and often I'll give you, uh, I'd like to give you practical advice because I want you to, um, I want you to get publicity and, 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 and get your brand out there and your profile out there. Um, and I think in a, in a more macro sense, I think um, getting good design out there is so important. Um, so, I hope I will be of help to get you both, get you everything you need, but um, looking after each individual title and looking after that design blog's title because I probably don't want to see things coming up in Artichoke that they thought um, yeah. they had, you know, rights, yes. special rights to. Yes. Mm. Is there, it, you mentioned that maybe you would have an initial kind of three absolute favourite publications um, that you were going to reach out to initially, for example. Mm. Um, maybe they're your first preferences. If you were going to take that approach, is there a polite way to say that I'm not only emailing you? <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm not just reaching out to your publication. I am also have simultaneously contacted two other publications and I'm kind of waiting to see like what offers I get back. Well, I would suggest you don't simultaneously do that. I would say yep. you go... You go with your number one, you wait for the no, and then you go for the number two. So just yep. wait. Uh, I, yes, I think simultaneously you're going to get yourself into trouble <laughs> a little bit because if you get three yeses. <laughs> you get three yeses back and then yeah, what do you do? and then you've got you to go back to the editor. <laughs> yeah, and it's not a great look and it looks like you don't know what you're doing and you haven't really yep. thought it through. So I think you should do a step-by-step -step and go, yep. okay, well, they weren't interested. Now I'll go to my second. And, it, and you know, editors should get back to you in you know, they'll tell you within the week or if you need to 
put a deadline on us. Like say, I really would love to know by the end, by this time next week, just so I can keep going with this project if you're not interested. Put it, put the pressure back on us to give you an answer. Okay, um, so if I said... Uh, for the sake of my outreach process, my media PR process here, I'm gonna, I am gonna give you a time frame where you're the only person I'm gonna ask. Yep. So Great. <laughs> that that feels like a super aggressive move to say you've got till Friday 5 p.m. <laughs> to get an answer back to me, like arrogant much, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I get those sort of emails. But you're it? saying that's potentially okay. At least if you're emailing Cassie at Artichoke, then the, then it's okay yeah. to give like a rough idea of. I, you know, I, it's important that I do yeah, get a bit I think, of a, and a no I think, back. Uh, don't give me just 24 hours. Give me maybe yeah. a week or two. If I don't hear from you by close of <laughs> business today, we're taking our work elsewhere. Give me, give me a little bit of time. But um, I, <laughs> I understand where you're coming from. Like you, you're so excited about this new project. You want to get it out. You want to have a, um, a publication in, in place that you, you're going out with this. So I get that you need an answer out of me in a timely manner. And I don't want to hold you up in that. And Hopefully we're going to work together, but sometimes due to I've got full issues already and I can't fit it in and I really wish I could and I can't, I'll tell you and um, hopefully I might get the next the next project. But I don't want to hold you up and I want you to go get that publicity from someone else. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, I think also people have, uh, they're quite nervous at that stage because they're sort of debuting their project yeah, to the world and course. there is a little bit of a fear of rejection in certain oh, ways. Absolutely. And, um, and I think people are more just antsy to get an answer one way or the other rather than necessarily, oh, we're in a big hurry. It's more yes. just, oh, I really want to. I really want to know whether it's a yes or a no. I completely get that. Yeah, 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 I completely understand that. Interesting. And you touched on this sort of 100, 200 word kind of statement Mm. and I've seen this process um, overcomplicated within an inch of its life by (laughs) some practices in terms of how you actually contact a publication um, and it's almost become like a full-time job for some people putting together there. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I've even seen practices spend, you know, a couple of thousand dollars on copywriting to put together that 200, 300-word statement. So, like, there is some extreme ways that it can be done. but. Um, but you made it sound kind of quite simple and I think that's always nice and refreshing to hear. So maybe um, it'd be interesting to go into a bit more detail around that outreach and that those what helps you and what makes it easy enough for you to understand. So you mentioned kind of floor plans. You mentioned uh, one 200, 300-word sort of statement Mm -hmm. and uh, low-res images, but let's just say a package of images. Yep. So, so is that basically here's a Word document, here's a Dropbox link to some images, and here's here's a like what what's I know we're getting really into no, the weeds, I love but like the what's, <laughs> this makes my life simple. Oh, do we prefer but, PDFs or Word documents? <laughs> like I really <laughs> okay. So I'm going to tell you straight up what I prefer, but I All right, really give us the give us the rundown. I need three I things want... from you when you pitch to me, and I need I need the low res images. So those could be individual low res images you've attached to the email. They could be a PDF yep. contact sheet. They could be a link to a Dropbox. I don't really care as long as you give me the low res images um and making sure you've um you've selected those you've curated those images don't send me you know the 250 yeah yeah, yeah. i just want to see for now maybe you have 10 to 15 um that capture the project a couple of details but also those overall hero shots and all that sort of stuff what you think i need to know about those projects through those images so 10 to 15 i say low res don't care how they send them to me dropbox or pdf or whatever i like a 150 to 200 word little design statement 
And I'll come back to why I like that length. Um, yeah. That can be in the body of the email. That can be a Word doc. That can be a PDF. I actually prefer a Word doc because I can, um, if I need to extract. Copy the, paste. Yes. Like it, it's hard to copy paste it. out of PDFs. They come up all yeah, corrupted. I remember Ben Morgan from Balbert talking about that a while ago, that little tidbit. He's like, hey, you know what? Copying text out of a PDF is actually a really it's, unenjoyable it's experience. So yeah. give us word documents. Yep. I, yes. So I yes. It. But a lot. I get a lot of PDFs because it looks sharper and they've got logos. It looks cleaner. Looks We're so all about cleanly. the looks. Exactly. There's a lot of style over substance going yes. on in this industry sometimes when it comes to things like that. There definitely <laughs> is. Practically speaking, it's a nightmare. <laughs> and then yep. I like to have a couple of floor plans or sections um, just as PDF in a PDF document um, just so I can understand the space as well um, and just look at how successful it is as a working space of what it might be, a restaurant or a workplace. That's all I want for that first outset. Um, The reason I like 150 to 200 words is because, one, I think you can sort of uh, tell me what you need to tell me in that amount of words and I'll have more questions or the writer will get to um, explore so much more about that project when they come to writing that 800-word review. But also if we, if I can't do it as a project feature in Artichoke magazine at that time for whatever reason, I've got a full issues or whatever, uh, we have this section in the magazine called In Brief where um, we sort of do a little snapshot around the country of recent um, interiors that have happened and um, you usually get one to two images and a 100 to 150 word story. And so I've got everything I need for that in brief article from the outset. And um, I can just work with that text that you've sent me on that. Now, we don't ask for exclusivity on in brief. So it can be a little story in Artichoke and you can go for goal wherever else you want. Um, so that's why I like that package from the outset because I can do things with that for other sections of the magazine if it's not a successful project feature. Yeah. That's all I want. That's really quite simple. Um, when And then from there, if it's a yes that I'd love to publish this, then I go back to you and ask for a few more things. So that might yes. include, well, that will include the high-res images. That will include we have these um, information, project information sheets, and they're about six to seven pages uh, long. Mm-hmm. Each magazine has their own version. Um, And that's where we're getting information from you about um, the consultants and the project team because we love to acknowledge that sort of thing in the magazine. We love to acknowledge your team, the team that worked on it. Um, Also the product lists, um, stuff like budgets, um, traditional custodians of the land on which you worked. Um, uh, what else was in that list? Oh, a few little things. Oh, and also just um, housekeeping stuff like we've got permissions from the photographer and all that sort of stuff, yes. and the client, all those important things that we need to tick off as well. So that's one of the things we send back to you. Uh, and we might also ask for, um, you know, better res floor plans and sketches. I love to get a sketch in the magazine every now and then, um, especially mm-hmm. lovely hand-drawn ones. Um, and we like to print those if they're great. Um, and that's – and then we sort of – uh, facilitate the uh, writer and the architect getting together and having that site visit and that interview and going from there. So, from the very first, the very first pitch, it doesn't need to be complicated. Just some low-res images, a yeah. uh, pa- couple of paragraphs, and some floor plans. 
So quite often, you know, a practice will put together a media kit that contains a lot of that information that, or a media pack or whatever, but it's got that information that you kind of mentioned there, like here are the products, here are the consultants, here's the timelines, here's the budget, here's the, like all that sort of stuff. Um, it's probably not necessary, is it? <laughs> not for <laughs> us. Because kind of mm. each, each publication is going to have their own kind of requirements anyway. Yes, um, exactly. But the only thing I'm thinking in the back of my mind is that, you know, very premium print and magazines and stuff like, yes, like we'll get that information off you, then we'll interpret it and then we have a journalist and all that sort of stuff. But mm -hmm. there is a lot of publications that are like, give us the stuff and then we copy paste it and we put it on our website and then we put it out there. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, there so maybe maybe there's some utility to having all that extra information prepared for that for that purpose. So, and yeah, yeah, I was going to say that goes back to, I guess, having that strategic approach versus the scattergun approach. So if you're thinking, actually, I just want to be everywhere, um, I want to get my profile out there, and that's totally cool. If that's what you want to do, um, go for it. That's when you'd probably have a media release um, and your images and you just send it out to everywhere, every editor email address you can find, and you might just BCC yeah. everyone. And then they'll grab that and do what they want with that however they like, and you'll start seeing it pop up everywhere. Yeah. And they might yeah. not even tell you that they're publishing because sometimes journalists are in such a rush that they work for these, um, a lot of the international um, web uh, design blogs and architecture websites, they just grab it and put it up online and they don't even really yeah. email you back to say that they published it. You first find out about it because you get tagged in Instagram. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you go, yeah, suchandsuch.com has tagged you in their photo. Then yes. you go, oh, cool. 30,000 likes. Awesome. <laughs> that's that's exciting. Didn't realize it was happening and they spelt the name of the project incorrectly, but <laughs> that's not our photographer. But, um, and that's yeah, cool. exactly what happens with that sort of journalism, uh, yeah. journalism um, that happens with some of those, you know, really fast-paced, high-content um, international blogs that they have around the place. Yeah, yeah. Which have a role, but yeah. um, but yeah, they're they're yeah, right. Okay, so interesting. So that initial statement, um, that's going to put a lot of. I guess I can imagine architects thinking, oh, 150, 200 words. That's really going to make or break our chances of getting published here. <laughs> we better <laughs> we better put quite a lot of thought into this. Um, I guess. I guess when confronted with the need to write something about a project, mm. so assuming that an architect is doing this for themselves, mm. they don't spend a lot of time necessarily reflecting on, you know, what is the kind of the, I'd say intuitively people think we need to reflect on what is the meaning of this project or what was what is my philosophy as a designer. It can go into those very deep and mm. reflective kind of places, but I'm guessing it really doesn't need to, right? I mean, what are the simple elements of that 150 to 200 word thing and how can how can we look at it in the way that it starts to feel a little bit more easy and approachable? Yes, okay. So I think um, firstly what I'll say is that a lot of architects um, know that they're not good writers and they get really intimidated by crafting those design statements um, and mm. it's not their forte and they don't like to do it and it takes them such a long time to do them because they are so um, hesitant about pulling, pulling it together. Yep. Um, if that's you, um, I feel like, you know, give it the job to someone else, like give, get, mm. a, get a writer onto it um, to do it because your time's better spent um, doing what you're, you're good at. Um, so the writer will be able to tease these things out of you and do it really quickly, much quicker than you can. 
Okay, so that's that. If yeah. you're okay, you're great at you're pretty good at writing, and you can form you can knock up two hundred words pretty easy. Then that go for it. The things that you should be addressing are the client brief, um, what exactly the client was after, and what type of client it was, um, and how you uh, achieved that, and I guess also maybe pointing out a few of the um, the features of the design, like the real standout bits, you know, it might be, for example, in a restaurant, it might be this amazing bar space they've created or whatever, just pinpointing a few of those um, key pieces. Yeah. Mm. Um, And also you might want to talk about what's the, what's the unique thing, the really, what's, what's the, just give us a little taste of what the story could be here. Uh, It might be that it was a tiny budget. It might be that, um, this is the fifth restaurant you've done for this client and the relationship's only just gotten better and better and now, you know, you um, live in each other's pockets and that's, it's, it's your, your, like family. Uh, there yeah. could be a million diff- great stories in this one project. So you just got to tease out a little bit about that and that's all. Like it's just, it doesn't have to be this really complicated thing. Um, if you can yeah. just tell us what the client wanted, what the brief was, how you achieved that, some cool things about it. That's all you need to tell us, and we'll we'll the writer will go go out and, and tease more out of you and and get to the nugget of the story of how they want to um, how they want to tell that story. It's interesting, and you mentioned the client several times in there, and sometimes the client gets left out of the way we describe projects. Mm. Um, you know, it's some com- I, th- I think it's a common mistake I pick up on that we're not even thinking of mentioning what was the client's brief <laughs> or what, apart from they needed a restaurant yeah, um, yeah. or whatever. But, you know, really g- kind of that's actually quite important, isn't it? And I, I like it, to know about yeah. it, but often maybe there isn't really an interesting client brief. Yeah, it right. was just, um, yeah. you know, stock standard brief that they asked for. Um, I think though it Maybe with residential stories, it's it's nice to know if it, if it was a good mm. client and great working relationship. That's a really nice story to tell. Um, yeah. But I think the client brief is where it all begins, really, and and what they wanted and how and how the the designer responded to that. I think that's an important place to start, and I think it's probably a good place to start when you're writing because that all get that's the beginning, and that's you'll you'll have two hundred words in ten minutes if you just start there. Yeah, exactly. So put that together and send that through and then let let your editor lead the process from then on maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what, what do you guys need? Yes. Interesting. Are there any other mistakes that you see, not to dwell on the negative too much or with the architects, but are there any other things that you see maybe that they uh, maybe could be doing a little bit better in terms of how they engage with, with the media and with you as an editor? Um. Just there's some silly mistakes sometimes and you just get left flabbergasted. Oh, please go for it. Let's do a couple uh, of them. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll get um, high wrong name and I know that that name is another editor from a different place. Um, would love to see this in that title and they've sent it to me and they haven't proofread. They've obviously 
sent it out to many people and they haven't changed the yeah. name or the publication. Yeah. And I'm just yeah, like, okay. oh, that's such a no-no. So, so lazy, lazy mail merging yes. is, a, is, a, is, a, is a bad one. Or okay, lazy cool. copy-pasting, I think. Maybe they're just... Ah, <laughs> uh, not even mail merging, mail, they're copy-pasting. Yeah, okay, I reckon okay. it's copy-pasting. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, I'm like, oh, well, come on, man. Like, I, I, now I know where you've sent it and now I know you didn't even proofread this email <laughs> to me. It's not a personal email at all. <laughs> I don't feel special. Yeah. Um, I have in the past had people uh, mock up a cover of Artichoke with their image. Oh, that is on bold. That the is cover. I, I just happened. <laughs> it's happened. I reckon. I'd say about eight or nine times in my career at Artichoke, and it's bold and it is so and, risky. And, and how many of those eight or nine times did they then end up on the cover? That's a big zero. <laughs> out of spite i'm just like so there's yeah. zero for nine but but you know <laughs> never stop believing you've still <laughs> and i know like and and i i think probably 50 percent of the time it's a bit of a joke and i hope and with the people that are joking i know them and i know that it's a joke and that sort of thing and then yeah. the other 50 percent think that they're actually helping me which is even a little bit just a bit more insulting because it's like <laughs> oh yeah i just don't like you because i don't come along and tell you how to build <laughs> No. Build a building. <laughs> to design exactly. a building. So don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, and it happens across all the magazines, to be honest. So it must happen, you know, everywhere. Um, yeah. Getting a bit, a bit slow. Like if you've got something that's been out for ages and it's um, it's a restaurant, well, it's, it's probably more um, it's probably more relevant to commercial projects yeah. than residential because not many people will see residential. But um, if it's a, you've just gotten really slow and you've got, you've been too busy and you haven't pitched this project and now it's a three-year-old restaurant. And yes, no one's, it hasn't been published in any of the design media, but still the uh, public and the architects and designers who are um, across things will know of this already. And it's just, too, it's just, it's not fresh anymore. I can't do anything with it. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I, quite often, uh, you know, I'll start working with a practice and we'll do a bit of a, we'll start discussing the topic of media and we'll say, oh, these recent projects or the projects over the last couple of years, you know, where did those get published or what happened with those? And they'll say, oh, you know, not really anywhere. Yeah. Or we Surprising. just had maybe maybe one, maybe like Arc Daily emailed us or something. Like, you know, there was just maybe one little inbound that they got and that's what they did and that was kind of the end of it. And what... Firstly, obviously, we want to address that and go, you should probably, it, it, you should, Leverage you know, it that. doesn't hurt to yeah. reach out and, and, you know, tell tell different publications about your projects. Like that's pretty, pretty key. And you, you mentioned that 80% of the stuff you publish kind of comes through that, through that channel. So it's obviously important. Um, but, you know, this idea of a project's shelf life, I think is also kind of interesting as well. And I do get the question sometimes of, you know, this project's 12 months old. Do you think we can still like still contact a publication or an editor? Is that allowed? You know, does it have to have just been done like last month kind of thing? Mm. Um, obviously, it's going to change depending on whether we're talking hospitality mm -hmm. or yes. residential. Yeah. And I'm sure hospitality of all things is like the shortest yes. window of opportunity. Is, yeah. um, um, but, but yeah, but an old, a project that is a little bit, it, it, it maybe is a year old. It's still, it's it's not worth abandoning, right? No, no definitely not. I think um, yeah. often um, I'll get, projects that 
are a year old because they've chosen to wait for the landscaping to landscaping. Yeah, landscaping. <laughs> waiting for those it's always landscaping. trees to mature. Yeah. Waiting for landscaping, or or, yeah. or or like in the UK, it's always like waiting for it to stop raining yes. or something. Like it's always we're yeah, waiting yeah, yeah. for spring. Yeah, there's always that's it. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I get that. So they wait, they wait, and they don't do the photography until a year later. Um, yeah. It to be specific to artichoke, it does. It sort of matters with hospitality projects, as you said, um, mm. because um, the client of those projects is also hitting up all the food and, and food media and, you know, broadsheet gets it's such got such a massive audience that once something sort of gets published in there, it, it can affect your chances of being in ours because it feels it doesn't feel fresh anymore. It does, it's, right, it so you're kind of racing against the client. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. And sometimes I don't even, um, I just know that the client is a savvy operator and they'll get everywhere that they want to get and I can't really yeah. fight that battle. Um, and I just hope that the design photos, which are often a different set of photos to the client photos, which are centred around yeah. food, um, yeah. will not have been seen as widely and it will still feel um, like a, a fresh design story when it comes in artichoke. Uh, but then uh, workplace projects, similar to residential education projects, re- retail kind of in the mm. in the middle, um, those are often only seen by the people that visit those places. So um, I have a good chance of it being um, new to our audience when we publish it. So um, I have definitely published things that are one or two years old, um, because no one, I feel like my audience hasn't seen that yet and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's kind, okay. kind of sometimes nice to read those stories because the clients or the users of those spaces have been um, going there and frequenting them for the, the year or the 18 months and they have the writer can write to that and, and, and talk about that post-occupancy sort of story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah interesting. Um you mentioned earlier something I wanted to pick up on again. You mentioned that for different types of media, you might kind of have different sort of storylines or angles or your 150-word or 200-word design statement might actually differ a little bit depending on the type of publication that you're reaching out to, mm. which I think is kind of obvious but mm. um, but probably not actually done that often and, 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 it is, and it can be kind of seen as challenging of how do you actually create Th- maybe two or three or four versions of a design statement depending on the audience. You know, mm. are we reaching out to the property place or are we reaching out to the design place or are we reaching out to the arts and culture place? Like what and and sort of distinguishing that. Um, but, but it's interesting that you bring it up because it is something that will obviously be helpful in terms of improving the chances of getting published. Yeah. Um, I think if you've right. got a design statement that just talks about the materials that you used and the key design features, that's not going to necessarily work for, um, I don't know what it might be. You might be wanting to be in a, um, uh, I don't know, real estate or property or something, title or something yeah. like that. Um, so you've got to, yeah, you, you, there might be a level of um, customization with those um, press releases or those little design, those little um, mm. d- uh, text briefs that you send out. Um, but then, then again, that come that goes back to who your targets titles are going to be, um, and thinking about that from the outset. And so you'll, I guess, you know, when you sit down to write that two hundred words um, for your top tier 
option. You might mm. start thinking about, oh, I also want to, that my, while I'm doing that one, I want to be going after um, local newspapers. So I might just tweak this a little bit. So I've got a couple of sentences about why that would be relevant to them and what, what the story is for those guys. So I yeah. just think it's about, you know, simplifying as much. You don't need to give them as much as you think. So if, it, if you're going out to that, for example, that um, country newspaper that, you know, you, you work yeah. in that, in that space, it's just going to be a three or four sentences and just teasing out what you think that is going to be relevant to them. And they're going to pick up on it if it is relevant. Um, and if it's not, you don't need to think about it anymore because yeah, it's not, it wasn't relevant at that time. So yeah, yeah, I think if it's not, yeah, you can't really fashion it into a way that you want it to be. It's got to be genuine. They're going to pick up on it if they want it. And then the, yeah. then they're going to get the full story out of you. I, I love it. I'm going to make every single client listen to this episode because um, oh, it's that sort of less is more. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> and you don't you don't really have to overthink it, probably, or or get to or put as much time into it as some some practices yeah. do and have a tendency to do. I think it's probably, um, I guess, by a project. So as each project comes along, you might. I think you'd only need to spend. I mean, less than an hour to to put that little email together to your first. Your first yeah. title, um, probably less, much less than an hour, half an hour, just to, depending on how long it takes you to write that little bit. I I have a theory that <laughs> I'm interested to see if you can sort of respond to it. That um, that the the images play such a big part in the selection process that they are kind of that you've already organised those, you've already got those. They're less than now twenty percent of the effort. The other eighty percent, it feels like it's the writing. Um, mm. let's say the, the f- photography that you've already got and the actual process of selecting a publication and, and contacting them is 20%. The other 80% is putting together this excruciatingly difficult to write 150, 200 word statement. But I feel like the photography and the selection and the, it is 80% of what generates the results. <laughs> you know, it's like kind of flipped around, but oh, that definitely. might just be a perception about, you know, I just, I feel that images just play such a powerful role in terms of the sort of the publishability of a project. Yeah. But um, And it goes back to like a picture tells a thousand words. I can yeah. tell from looking at the images um, if it's something that my readers have never seen before and I know that I want to publish that or how successful yeah. it is or how unique it is. Um, I think... You know, I, I've said in this today that I've been I like I like the two hundred word um, design statement, but often I'll get an email that is just the images, and it will say this this is a new restaurant in Turak, and that's all they've said about it. <laughs> and I'll look at the images and go, no, it's much more than that. This is amazing. Like, <laughs> God, you don't know how to sell yourself, but that's okay. You go, that is the best looking restaurant in Turak <laughs> I've ever seen in my whole life, and I want it. <laughs> exactly. And they, because they don't, they, they've obviously had struggled with the words and they don't know what to say, and they've, they haven't let them that let that stop them, and they've sent it off to me, and I can I can pick up, I can see the gaps and go, wow, okay, this is amazing. Let's get onto this right now, and we do. Um, but again, like what you, what you going back to saying, like for architects who find it so excruciating to put that text bit together. Mm. And it's the last little thing that's, you know, it's, it's dragging out to a month now because they can't get themselves to do it. Yeah. If that is you, then don't do it. Like get someone else to do it or write bullet points and send them over. Skip, like, yeah. 
just don't get fixated on this. Oh, she said she needs 200 words. Just send me some bullet points. Just get it out there. Get it to me. Get it to the editor you want it to get to. And yeah. um, we'll have a conversation and I'll ask some questions and, about it if I'm curious. Okay. So uh, one one kind of shifting the topic a little bit to maybe talk a little bit more about awards because Artichoke and Architecture Media, we, there's a few different awards programs and kind of leading awards programs in Australia. Um, and you, I know, participate in like a lot of juries and are, are a pretty big, mm. big, big deal when it comes to awards. So be really interested to know um, just kind of this last chapter about, I guess, the importance of awards for a practices marketing strategy, um, and uh, yeah, I, I guess like what 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 it sort of means to be part of an awards program these days. Yeah. Okay. So I think um, awards are super important, and there are so many of them in our architecture and design industry. I feel like I would there are quite a few. <laughs> I, would, I would love to know if our industry has the most awards per. <laughs> Per capita. Per, yeah, per capita. I just feel like there are so many. Um, and they each do, like a lot of the awards do different things, so you need to be able to distinguish um, which ones you want to enter your work into, which ones you respect and all those sorts of things. Um, I think there's a few reasons you should – entering awards should be a part of your um, constant marketing routine. Firstly, I think that it is a good opportunity to be peer-reviewed and I think that's um, a good thing. Um, it's a good way to support the industry and um, be a part of something. Um, but second, uh, thirdly, I think that it's a great way to get publicity because what a lot of people don't understand or don't realise is that, you know, we have, I think, three or four awards programs at Architecture Media and each of those awards programs we have an external publicist that works on that. So they are um, busy telling the media about the shortlisted projects and um, eventually then the winning projects and the commendation projects and they're telling those stories to the major newspapers, to the consumer magazines, to radio, to TV and winners and shortlisted um projects or, uh, sorry, architects and designers are getting opportunities through that. So often our publicists will get in touch with um, a really interesting shortlisted project or a group of projects to say, look, I've got an opportunity with ABC Radio. They want to talk to you. They're doing a thing on sustainable, whatever, sustainable restaurants. Yeah. You fit this perfectly. Um, we'd love you to be part of that. And I guess that's what people don't understand, that we have publicists that work on those programs, those awards programs, trying to get those stories out there because we want the awards to do well but we also want the um, projects that enter to do really well uh, far beyond our our results and our um, yeah. who who became winners in, in through our process. Um, so it's not just winning the award or, or doing well in the award program. It's about the the um, PR campaign that is embedded into those awards. So it's a yeah. really great way to get out there. Um, yeah, I think just winning those awards, you can go, it, it goes worldwide. It just goes crazy. I think with the, yeah. we, one of our awards programs is the Eat Drink Design Awards, which um, celebrates and acknowledges great hospitality design. And we, I hear so often that, um, you know, 
Cassie, we won that last year and the phone hasn't stopped ringing from clients who loved it and want to do something, you know, like they love what we do and they want to do something in Brisbane or Los Angeles or whatever. And I hear it all the time. So I think there's a real um, a real opportunity there with potential clients as well. So entering awards, yeah, I think, yeah, it's just a lovely, a great, there's no, yeah, it's just all win. There's no downsides. <laughs> Unless you don't win. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, there's only can be a few winners, but getting shortlisted, I mean, I think that's an amazing, yeah. amazing achievement. Yeah. The quality in this of design in this country is extraordinary. And to be shortlisted um, among just the work that's getting done and, and that um, it's just it's just incredible. Like there's just so much good work coming out of our little country that it's yeah, it just it's it's crazy. You make a good point about um, it getting publicity to the broader, um, the mainstream media and, uh, and more broadly than just sort of inside the industry because I think there is probably a doubt that sometimes we have in our minds about awards that although everyone obviously loves entering and being shortlisted for and winning awards and getting that sense of recognition from peers, I think everyone values that. But sometimes in terms of the marketing conversation, there's maybe a little bit of a doubt that well, maybe it's just kind of marketing to other architects, you know, which mm. is this common kind of fear, right? Mm. But you made a great point about how it does open doors to really get outside of the architecture media and, and there is now a story. Um, something has happened. In, in effect, by winning an award, it's, it's, it becomes news, doesn't it? Yes, <laughs> absolutely it does. And that's and that's where now there's a story. There's something bigger. And also, um, looking at it from the outside, um, how how is an outsider or a journalist outside the industry to determine who is credible and worth listening exactly. to? If you are going to have an interview on sustainability at ABC mm-hmm. Radio, where the the best place to start would be mm-hmm. who won the awards or got shortlisted for yes. the sustainable category or something like that, yep. right? Yeah. Um, so that's very interesting. So but they, also they, those mainstream it, journalists that don't know anything about architecture and design, they want to be told what are the award-winning projects and just grabbing that content from there and setting up interviews um, with those people that made those projects. And, you know, our awards programs have been um, gotten airtime on, you know, Sunrise, you know, yeah. morning show or whatever, and um, on ABC News and just radio programs and all that sort of thing. So it really has the potential to reach that real broad general public. Um, And I think that's a good thing for um, to tell the story of the value of design and of architecture because quite often our industry is so insular about that and we don't know the best way to communicate that. Um, But secondly, I think it's it's just great to tell those stories and, and... tell the public what's 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 happening yeah. yeah yeah and as you mentioned earlier as well it is also a helpful way to uh improve your chances of being published in the media that is directly related or connected to that that awards program as well so you mm-hmm. know you're you're obviously looking at the submissions and stuff like that and thinking about what's going into artichoke and so on you know so yeah. it's really interesting um but I guess some of the, are there any lessons from what we discussed earlier in terms of the process of being proactive about getting published, which I guess is kind of the theme of how do we be more proactive without necessarily overcomplicating it? Mm-hmm. Um, are there any, are there any crossovers for 
going about awards in general. Um, like I guess uh, selection yep. is a criteria, not spreading yourself too thinly and mm. something obviously people need to be mindful of mm. in their actual approach. Do you think there's any major just things that sort of stand out to you in terms of from your experience as a juror, maybe things that architects could do a little bit less of or maybe a little bit more of what they should really focus on? It's That's a really interesting question because I have seen it work different ways. Um, I've seen architects have a strategy where um, they've, they're sitting on this project and they're not sending it out to any media and the first time they want anyone to see it is through the awards program because, mm. and I think the, the, the rationale is, that the jury will be blown away because they've never seen it before. Um, you'd have okay. to have be really confident knowing that this is a really standout project for that strategy to work. But it does work. It has worked. I've seen it work um, in the jury room where people are like, whoa, have not seen this from these guys, like, you know, and, and they're blown away. Um, and then there's the other flip side of that, which is they've had it published everywhere um, the jurors might be really familiar with it and know the backstory and that in the on the day of judging that kind of um, I guess unconscious bias Influ- influences yeah. <laughs> influences their vote they yes, vote yes. Um, so I've seen it worth both ways I think um, it should be sort of a hand in hand approach there should be a bit of both um, I think just being really selective about where you want to uh, be seen and which awards you want to be attached to. Um, there are yeah. so many out there that it's you've sort of um, got so much choice, but um, you don't probably don't have the you won't have the money to enter them all. So you just got to be a bit selective and and just like with the choosing your media title, you just be selective about which awards you enter. And yeah, again. There is such a thing as oversaturation, so you don't want to be sending it out to every single awards program because I think that does sort of the jury gets, the jury will know it back to front and and sort of, I guess, start thinking like, oh, they won all those awards last year. Do we really want to give this award to them again? Um, mm. And hopefully they're being rigorous and they're, they're, doing, they're doing it based on criteria, awards criteria, but I, I think it would be, naive to think that um, there is that sort of unconscious bias that comes into play when they start thinking about who deserves those big award wins, that sort of thing. Yes. Interesting. Cassie, we're we're reaching the end of the time, but I think we'll have to, maybe we'll have to get some people to send in some questions and then we'll do maybe in the future we could do another episode. Oh, sure. (laughs) Love that. If they have questions. (laughs) I think people will always have questions. But you know what? The next best thing is just emailing them straight to Cassie. Yeah, sorry. Let, let her deal with them. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast and being so open about every aspect of the process. Um, I'm, I think everyone's going to really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, Dave. It was lovely to have a chat with you. Well, that was my conversation with Cassie Hansen from Artichoke Magazine. If you'd like to learn more about Artichoke, you can visit architectureau.com or follow Artichoke on Instagram at artichoke underscore magazine. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please make sure to subscribe to hear a new episode every second week. When you subscribe, it also helps other architects to find the show and benefit from these conversations. So, I really appreciate it when you subscribe in your podcast app. 
And finally, if you'd like to learn more about me, Dave Sharp, you can visit vanityprojects.com to check out my blog, join over 5,000 other architects on my email list, or learn more about my marketing coaching services for architects and book a 15-minute consultation to discuss your marketing situation. That's all for this episode and I'll see you next time. Thank you.